0: Welcome to the Unbillable Hour. I am your
1: host, Christopher Anderson, and today's episode is about production, with a focus we haven't really discussed in a while, um, which is legal tech. And uh, you know, I, I recently went to Clio Cloud Conference. Say that three times fast. More easily said as ClioCon. and it was as always invigorating and fascinating, and it also kind of reconnected my brain cells um, that, that, that that like had forgotten how many solutions there are out there, how many vendors there are out there who have built really cool stuff. And I don't know if you're anything like me, it's tempting to try each and every one of them, which leads not too long thereafter to complete and utter overwhelm, um, making me want to hide from anybody who wants to present me with any solution at all. Um, And of course, neither direction is the right one, not overindulging, underindulging, running away, um, not not good solutions. So to help us navigate this sea of information, we've invited Jared Correa to speak with us today and help us sort it all out. Um, Before we get started with Jared, of course, I'll just remind you that the main triangle of what it is a law firm business must do includes three apices, apices, I think that's right, Uh, acquiring new clients, acquisition, two, producing the results that we promised, in other words, delivering, we call that production, and then of course, number three, to me, the most important, achieving the business and professional results for the owner, which is you, and you're in the center of that whole triangle, driving all of it for better or worse, and eliminating some confusion here about technology is going to be for better. Um, So in today's episode, we're going to discuss how to choose what technology is right for your law firm business and how to reject the rest without getting overwhelmed. And for that, my guest is Jared Correa. Now, Jared is the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting and the COO of Gideon Software. And we're going to call today's episode Separating the Wheat. Jared, yeah, like I said, is... uh, the CEO of Red Cave, COO Gideon. Red Cave is a subscription-based law firm business management consulting business for law firm and bar associations. And then Gideon provides end-to-end intake solutions for high-volume law firms. And that includes document assembly, e-signature, and such. Jared is also an attorney, formerly practicing, and has found himself cured of that, Um, (laughs) and uh, also internationally recognized legal tech expert. He speaks all over the place, anywhere I go, Jared's there, and and said he's really, really well respected as he does that. And we'll, we'll get your website information
2: later. So first of all, just Jared, welcome thank you i appreciate it i had no idea we'd be covering geometry triangles apexes oh, yeah. like no, that's I'm, I'm already lost <laughs>
1: don't worry three points is as far as we go we never talk All about right. squares or pentagons or dodecahedrons Oh, good. um and good. certainly never tesseracts like we'd stay clear <laughs> of that smart <laughs> <laughs> well thanks for having me on man this is great i'm excited absolute pleasure so before we get started i just said like two words about red cave and gideon oh sure yeah. um but so and just to kind of round out who you are and how you come to this. Can you just talk a little bit more about how you got into legal tech consulting and Red Cave and and then what Gideon's
2: all about? Yeah, so um, I went to law school and got a real legal job afterwards, but I was always interested in the consulting piece of it. So when I was in law school, I went to the career development office and I was like, uh, I I think I want to do consulting for lawyers. And they were basically like, get a real job. (laughs) 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 So I did. It sucked. <laughs> and then uh, like 2008, I want to say, uh, Massachusetts, where I lived, launched a free consulting platform for all barred attorneys. And I was like, great, I can like, learn how to do consulting. And I worked there for... That was low probably. mass? Low map, yeah, in Massachusetts. Low that map. Was like yeah. yeah, close enough. That was like six to eight years, I think I was there. And for the last 10 years or so, I broke off of there and found in my own uh, consulting business because there was just like too much outreach from other States and other countries sure. And I was leaving money on the table So basically I do business management consulting For lawyers That's mostly subscription based So I can work with firms and help them to grow And we talk about a bunch of things Like anything related to business management really But I do a lot of tech consulting In the sense of like Okay, what technology out there how do you pick it? Like you talked about separating the wheat from the chaff. Like how do you employ it in an effective way? And all the things that are related to technology, like reporting and KPIs. So that's been fun. I've got subscription clients. I've got bar associations that I partner with, about 20 of those. So it's I cool. Excellent. So. Yeah.
1: And what about Gideon? Like that's, that's even news to
2: me a little bit. I, I, maybe it shouldn't be. Maybe I just have amnesia. No. But, no, that's uh, fine. <laughs> yeah, tell, tell us about Gideon. So I I started a software company with a partner uh, several years back, and uh, we've been building that up. So we've effectively got like an intake platform uh, that qualifies clients for law firms. And we've got some cool stuff built in there. Uh, We can do document assembly from intake. Um, We've also got uh, proprietary e-signature tool that we built into that we work with a lot of like high volume pi type of practices um, and we actually are building out crm features which should launch uh in the next couple weeks or so Uh, yeah so that's but so your uh, sweet spot with that is is pi yeah, for the most, like you, so like firms that get a lot of leads and need to triage them quickly. And, you know, the PI people, like they just want to get somebody signed up to an yep. engagement agreement and then they'll figure it out later. So having like that qualification mechanism and then an e-signature platform where they can sign documents without channel switching is great for them. So. And
1: just for the listeners, in case anyone's interested in getting, like what, when you say high volume, like what's what's the kind of volume
2: range that you like to deal with? I mean, Usually we're talking like, you know, hundreds to thousands of monthly intakes at the, at the, not like 20 or 30, you know?
1: Cool. All right. So that's you. That's me. In a in a small nutshell. But in so a let's nutshell. Get, let's get let's get to what we're here to talk about, which is the technology stuff. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, so the emotions like that I go through. So i like I said, I was just a Cleocon. This is the same right. when I go to when I go to <laughs> ABA tech show or legal tech, or you know, sometimes the state bar ones or whatever. Um it, it, it always goes the same way. It's like The first reaction is, holy moly, I didn't know that existed. That's amazing. I've got to have that. Right. And then after about six of those, I'm like, I got to go get a beer. Um, Right. Right. I'm done. And, um, (laughs) you know, so the question is like, how should the listeners, you know, the law firm owners and law firm lawyers that are listening and, and, you know, have to deal with technology decisions, how should they approach this? Like, is it, do they determine their needs first and then go look for it? Do they, you know, get really aggressive about buying as much software as possible before they might really need it? Like, how do you advise your clients? Um, And how do, would you advise the listeners to kind of just approach
2: the whole thing? It's funny, man. I get like, uh, I get, conversations with people who go to Clio or go to these other events too. And they're like, I want to buy 17 different softwares. Yeah. And then they're yeah. like, oh my, that's a lot of subscriptions. That's going to cost me like an additional $900 a month. So maybe I should step back from that. But I guess, the, I guess the thing is like, it shows that the legal tech environment is pretty healthy. Like there were a ton of acquisitions recently yeah. and there's still a lot of good software that's coming out that's doing things that other software doesn't do which i think is awesome and the way i look at it for law firms it's like i have them do kind of like a baseline review of what they got right now like what software do you have what does it do and then i kind of think of it as like buying a house so I have people develop like a wish list and then things they hate about their existing software. Mm-hmm. So the wish list part of it is like, like when you're buying a house, you're like, do you need a garage? Do you have to have it? Or are you cool with like parking in the driveway? Right. And that may be a different question if you're living in New England versus living in Southern California. Yeah. And so I try to get them to think of it in that way. And then I'm like, okay, what do you really hate about this software? What really needs to improve? And then we try to select down in any category to like no more than three to four softwares. I have them do demos, keeping in mind what it is that they want from the software, really focused demos. And then I try to get them to pin that down and make choices based on that. That's usually the process I walk through. But I think the problem is like like you said, like everybody's like, oh, that software is cool. It does this one thing that I really like. Well, does it do the other three or four things I need it to do? As well, So people, you know how lawyers are. They just want a bill. And they're like, oh, can you just tell me what software to get? But you have to put right. some effort in here and review the products. Yeah. Yeah, but so, like, you said three to four. And I was like,
1: I was look, listening to you say that. I are like, three to four? That's like one-tenth <laughs> of what I've got. Um, <laughs> uh, you like, I, I
2: want to look at 50.
1: <laughs> yeah. But, like, seriously, I mean, you, you, is that the total number of software packages that a firm should be
2: working with is three or four? Well, I guess like if you were going to, I think the problem with a lot of law firms is they'll do a Google search, right? And they'll be like, Mm -hmm. oh, there's 17 cool softwares that I want to look at. So a lot of times when I talk to people, um, and and I I think lawyers have trouble doing this on their own, which is kind of how I see myself fitting in. Like I have conversations with them and I'm like, okay, you want it to do this. Like you're looking at 17 softwares, five of them don't do this. (laughs) Okay, you want it to do this. You're looking at 17 softwares, three of them don't do this. So effectively, like given what their specific requirements are, we can really whittle it down to like three to four people, uh, three to four tools pretty easily. So I think it's always surprising to people where they're like, oh, I didn't know it didn't do that. That's a deal breaker for me. That's usually how it works. Yeah, usually usually after you buy it when you discover that it does. Yeah, do that, usually right. after you buy it, which is why I try
1: to do that up front. Right. <laughs> Cuz interestingly, the sales folks don't demo the things it doesn't do. Right. <laughs> like, they don't. Now, before we get started, I want to be clear that this does not make toast. It doesn't do it. Um, you know, and Yeah, I've never heard
2: that said before. <laughs> yeah.
1: But it's true, right? No. All right. So 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 okay, so you said Make a list, a wish list of the things you want it, this particular thing to be able to do. That to me was like fit, right? So you might want well to be sure it fits. And and probably a good idea to talk to somebody because I've seen some people buy both ways. I've seen people buy stuff that kind of does what they want it to do, but it's for a much smaller firm. And it's going to they're out, gonna outgrow right. it. It's not really for right. them. Um, you know, they're buying a you know, one of these off the shelf CRMs that you know is very, very good when you're getting started, but not very good. Or to the contrary, some smaller firms buying enterprise level stuff um, that requires immense amounts of configuration. What did what did Keep used to be called? Um, uh, Infusionsoft. You know stuff right. like that. I see. I see small firms buy Infusionsoft and be like, "Oh my god, like you can't do that." <laughs> um, and, uh, right. and so, so that's fit. But you also, um, when we
2: were talking and preparing, you also talked about usability. How is that an important part of the? Yeah. Inquiry. I mean, just quickly, I think you make a great point about the fit part of it. Because that, that's part of the conversation I have with firms as well. Like, what is your growth plan? Mm-hmm. And then let's not, let's figure out, like, are you going to buy software for a later point in time? Or are you buying software right now that you know you'll need to upgrade? There's not necessarily a bad answer for that. But again, it's like something you should be thoughtful about and planning for. And then the other thing related to that is like, what version of the software do you want? Like, every software has got three or four different versions up sure. to the enterprise version. And you know how it is. Like, from a psychology standpoint, everybody's going to pick, like, the middle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but is that yeah. really right for your law firm? Like, that's something you should dive into. But the usability thing is interesting. I I can have, like, really robust conversations with firms. We're on the phone for three hours talking about technology. And then they're like, you know what? I like the way this one looks. <laughs> <laughs> and then often green. I like that. green. <laughs> this has a cool color. <laughs> so I think like the UI stuff, user interface stuff, usability stuff, super important for attorneys because they don't want, I mean, I get it. Like to some extent, it's like if you're an unsophisticated tech buyer, which a lot of attorneys are, frankly, like that's going to be the thing that catches your eye. Like, oh, this software looks cool. I think it'll <sighs> do cool things. But then the other piece of it is also logistical because the people in your firm actually have to use it it can't be like this like mystery box where (laughs) it's like how do i do this function i need to take three steps to get there or is it like really obvious that i click this button and it does this thing like there's there's some viability to that as well so i think ui is like highly important to law firms when they're talking about choosing software but they they often don't go beyond that
1: yeah and the problem with that too is that the buyer's not the user a lot of times. Yes. Um right. and, and you got that problem where you know you buy this thing that like it's a little bit complicated, but you're like, I can figure it out. You know, like then you bring it to your team and they're like, I
2: can't figure it out
1: <laughs> and right then you got
2: training and all that other stuff and if Listen, you got law firms that have like tech managers it's a whole different thing too who are not yeah. attorney yeah there's a lot of stuff going on with that we're gonna take a break here and uh let uh let our sponsors have a word um because
1: you know they pay the bills and stuff uh so we're gonna let <laughs> okay. them do their thing and uh we're, we're gonna come back and we're gonna turn our attention to a little bit of data security because You know, to me, that that sort of ebbs and flows over the years. People get more interested in it and less interested in it. But lately, if people aren't getting interested in it, they need to be. So let's talk about that when we come back and a whole bunch of other stuff. But first, we'll hear from them. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. Nearly 80% of people search for lawyers online. They visit websites and check reviews. If your site doesn't appear in the top search results or it presents poorly, you risk losing clients. That's why you must know how your firm stacks up on Google against the competition. See how your reviews impact clients' decisions and how you can get better results from your site. Get an unbiased marketing performance report in under a minute right now at Grow Law Firm. And that's growlawfirm.com slash unbillable. Once again, growlawfirm.com slash unbillable. All right. We are back with Jared Correa. Um, He's the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting and also CEO of Gideon Software, which is an intake software solution Um, and really system, it sounds like from what we learned. But we've been talking about law firms and vetting software and how to make decisions. And um, the the third piece of that that I wanted to talk to when we went to break was security. I think it was Jack Newton at Clio was talking about how law firms have really become, as other businesses, banks and brokers and, and doctors and medicine and all these other places have gotten really good at security, law firms have kind of become the soft underbelly. And, we're, <laughs> and, we, and we, we hold a treasure trove of information that's oh, valuable. And so what should people be thinking about when they're acquiring software? How
2: should they be considering security? You know, like, lawyers are not great at this. And yeah. I will tell you, I probably get like, because I, I, like you, like I talk with a lot of law firms, I will get no less than like 10 emails every week from a law firm that's had a data breach. And they're like, please don't open our emails. And I'm like, I hope that's not the only thing you're doing. <laughs> um, right. But I think, so, so the data stuff is not necessarily overly complex But the problem is, like, lawyers don't take the first steps to figure it out. So there's two components here. The first is that when you're vetting software, you want to have an understanding of what security features exist in that software. So you can look at the service level agreement to figure some of that stuff out. Some of these companies have security audits that they publish on their website. Some of these companies are certified in a specific way. And really, based on the changes to the ethics rules in almost every state where lawyers need to have a reasonable competency in terms of using technology, that extends to vetting software for security. So you want to ask the right questions. You want to record your research just in case something happens. Because, you know, it's likely that a firm would get breached at some point, to some extent. Sure. And But the rule is not that you have to guarantee that you're avoiding breach. You have to take reasonable steps to avoid it. So you want to do that research. There's, there's good ethics opinions in almost every state that talk about the questions you should ask. But then the other part of it is like, once you get into the software, like what can you turn on that's not mm-hmm. turned on automatically? It's still crazy to me How many law firms aren't even aware of like secondary factors of authentication? And that's the easiest way to avoid a breach. Because what happens a lot of time is somebody accesses your password. And that's a problem. Especially if your password is is password. Which (laughs) most of them are. (laughs) (laughs) But like the second stage is, okay, do they have your phone so they can access the authentication code? Unlikely. So just just setting up that step protects you so much. But like software doesn't come out of the box with that. You have to set it up. You also have to understand like the sharing capabilities of any software you're using, when data is encrypted, when it's not, when data is in transit, when it's moving, what effect that has. Like at a very baseline level, if you have strong passwords, secondary factors authentication, and you encrypt data when you should and don't send it via email, like that's 95% of the battle when it sure. comes to data security and lawyers should like a lot of law firms don't even know that that's a thing that they can do. So I'd like
1: you to repeat one thing. Cause I think that'd be like the, the cool
2: thing for them to to look
1: at. You said, you know, I, we were talking about, you know, the, in case people didn't know what, what we meant, like, I think it's model rule 1.1 yes. um, has comment. It's not in the rule. It's not yeah. It's in the rule. comments that one, 1.1 is just about competence. Right. But in the, in the comments, Almost every state has now adopted the model comment from the ABA, which is that you, in addition to competence as a lawyer, you've got to actually have a competence as to the technology that you use. Or, and here's a new one don't use, right? So, <laughs> failure <laughs> to. Right. Are we to talking use, about AI? No,
2: go ahead. <laughs> and, you
1: know, but, but no, failure to use a relevant technology can yes. also be a breach of 1.1.
2: Yes, absolutely. And there have been cases about that, for sure. So in, in your state, it's either going to usually be comment six or comment eight to yeah. rule 1.1. 1. 1. And, you know, you could make the argument that beyond that comment, like, it makes sense, like from yes, a logistics yeah. perspective that you do this as a lawyer. Like, why wouldn't you?
1: Right, exactly. But, but what I wanted you to comment and repeat, though, was in relation to that, You said that most bars have a list of questions to ask. Where would people access that? Because I think that would be a really great
2: resource for people. So most bars have an ethics opinion related to professional competency in technology. And a lot of them have a list of questions that you want to ask of vendors. Like it's usually 10 to 25 questions, Mm -hmm. which I think is really helpful if you've never asked those questions before. The other thing I should mention quickly is that like, there's some decent alignment between the ethics opinions that have been produced and also the state laws on data security. At this point, almost every state, I think every state does have a law on data security Of some kind, Uh, some are more stringent than others, like Massachusetts and California. But if you look at the language, it kind of tracks back to the requirements and the ethics rules. So, largely speaking, if you follow the state requirements, that's enough to configure yourself correctly for the ethics requirements. Sort of related to to
1: security, Mm -hmm. Um, you know. We've I won't. I don't want to age you, so I'm just going to age myself. (laughs) You can age me. (laughs) I've been around long enough that, like at the beginning of my career. Law firms were just setting up networks, right? We, they had individual computers, they were setting up networks. and then they bought servers. And now for the most part, servers, a lot of law firms still have them. They do. but yeah yeah, but, but, but a lot of law firms have moved to mostly cloud-based solutions. What's your take? Do, do law firms really need hardware anymore? or like is like
2: how should they be thinking about that?
1: Because there's a security bit about that, too.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of lawyers think the hardware is more secure. And so Mm -hmm. that's why they want to have the physical servers. But it's largely about how you set it up. Like, we just talked about, like, four or five different things you could do to secure cloud-based technology. Which, in a lot of cases, is going to be more secure than physical hardware. Like, what's to stop somebody from breaking into your office and stealing your server? Like, I feel like the cloud is much more secure in a lot of ways. So the only hardware I would have if I was running a law firm is probably a laptop, a tablet, and a smartphone, and that's it. Mm -hmm. I'd be accessing everything else on the cloud. Like that's even true if I have desktop software that I'm using because I'm probably setting that desktop software up on a terminal server so I can access it via the cloud. Right. And I mean, it's, it's not only a security thing, it's also like a logistics thing, an efficiency thing. And this is a pandemic thing that happened with a lot of law firms. Like when the pandemic hit, I had all these law firms call me and they were like, I can't get to my server, can't get to my phones. And I'm like, hey, I got good news for you. There's an easy solution for that. So I, I, when I talk to law firms, I'm like, I'm biased about it. Yeah, I, I want them off of hardware. This is costly. It's hard to maintain, and the cloud stuff is just so much easier. And at this point, like, I had a law firm that I signed to the other day, and they were like, "Well, is Microsoft safe?" I'm like, "I hope so, because every law firm in the world uses it. <laughs> yeah, and like, I was like, I like to turn that question around and go like, "Who do you
1: think is spending more money on being safe?" <laughs> right You or Microsoft <laughs> right Like you know it, great. <laughs> When they when people want to resist the cloud, like they come up with these like James Bond scenarios, and like it's like just like is it safer than you? Is it safer than Peggy down the hall who p- pastes her password on her screen?
2: Well, it's interesting because the state laws I was referencing, yeah, a lot of those have different requirements for the different size of business. And the different resources that business has. So actually by law, Microsoft, Amazon, companies like that are required to have far superior security right. than a small law firm would. So yeah. that's codified.
1: Yeah. And, and and so why not take why not ride on that, right? Why not take advantage? I'll tell you a little anecdote that we're gonna to go to another break, but like I I was working with a law firm who was giving me this hardware argument, like no our hardware's more secure. And so I was like, listen, tell you what, I want to review your situation. So I want, um, we're going to meet next Tuesday at your office. We're going to talk about it. And so we're going to meet at eight o'clock. And so I go in at eight o'clock on Tuesday and like the place is on fire. Not literally like people running (laughs) around like crazy. We can't access any of our hardware, our software. We can't access like the whole network's down. We don't know what's going on. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, is that really true? Yeah. Oh, huh, that's really awful. Um, tell you what, why don't we go in this conference room? And let me tell you something. And then we went to the conference room and I said, The reason you can't access your software is um I bribed your cleaning crew last night and came in here and I pulled out <laughs> one Ethernet <laughs> cable from from your server <laughs> and I plugged it into my device that I've got sitting in that room right now copying everything. Um It's amazing. Fifty bucks. Fifty bucks. Now you want to talk to me about Microsoft and if they're safe?
2: Like, that's, and that's that that's was great. It.
1: That's that's great. my anecdote. And for I love that I'll never out the firm, but uh, uh, they went to the cloud that year. Um, and what they did, and I, we need, do need to go to break, but I think you kind of alluded to it. But for those who are a little bit nervous about switching to cloud-based software, there is an interim or an intermediate solution where you can actually just have your server environment put in a safe place.
2: Yes, that would be that a host. terminal server option that we talked yeah. about. Yeah, you can have your own cloud server, like a private cloud. Yeah exactly
1: okay we are going to take a break here when we come back we're going to just talk about what like what are the big four uh, you know if you're thinking yes. about what do i need if you haven't really bought much if you're thinking about starting your own law firm we're going to talk about the big four what four major pieces of software should every law firm have and then we'll see if we've got time for anything else but uh, first we'll hear one more word from our sponsors find out how Timesolve fits your firm with six different ways to track time surely one will fit even on the go or quickly estimate flat-fee projects. Batch payments for hundreds of invoices at once with TimeSolve Pay. Getting paid quickly is a great fit. And TimeSolve fits with the other tools you use. QuickBooks, LawPay, NetDocuments, LawRuler, Microsoft, all just plug in. Try TimeSolve free. Get a $100 Amazon gift card when you sign up. TimeSolve.com LawClerk's nationwide network of talented freelance lawyers is trusted by thousands of law firms. Solo attorneys and firms can get help with the project-based work and also ongoing work via a subscription. Sign up is free and there are no monthly fees. You only pay when you delegate work. Plus, LawClerk has a new app for your mobile device to help you manage the work you've delegated while you're on the go. Be sure to use referral code UNBILLABLE when you sign up at lawclerk.legal. And we are back with Jared Correa. What I wanted to do is like, if folks are just getting started, or even if they aren't, because maybe one of these four is not one of the ones they've got, um, what would you say is like the core four? That's what we're going to call it. The core like four that.
2: Yeah. Um, software that that every law firm really should have. I think probably two of them are obvious, right? You need productivity software. And when I say productivity software, I know a lot of people may not know what that means. That's like email, calendar, document storage. That type of thing, and a whole bunch of other stuff like Google. These Workspace, days, basically, Microsoft, Microsoft Outlook and uh, online uh, or uh, the Google suite of services. Right. And for, and for most law firms, it's Microsoft, honestly. Yeah. Um, and then you need an accounting software, which is mostly QuickBooks mm-hmm. and then a smattering of other players, including Zero. And then the other two, I think a lot of law firms at this point have case management software or law practice management software which I really like because it's a relational database for law firms. So honestly, like, I stopped practicing law, really, because, like, we had these, like, interminable case meetings all the time. Like, I remember the first law firm I was at, like all these old partners would bring me in on a Saturday and we'd do a case review of every single case we had, like every week. And I was like, this is stupid. I should be at the beach. Like, isn't there a better way to organize this data? And lo and behold, there was. They just weren't using it. So if you get a case management software, especially a cloud-based one, it can suck in all this information, attach it to a case. So I click a button on a matter and I see everything that's happening in that case in chronological order. Historically, it's beautiful. Um, So you got to have that, I think, because email doesn't do that. It's not a relational yeah, database. It just tracks emails. You can organize in subfolders, but that's not the same thing. Um, and then the fourth, which is like more of a pandemic thing than anything else, hmm. because lawyers started calling me on this where they were like, okay, um, we don't know what to do. We've got leads, but they can't come to our office and sign a piece of paper because no one wants to touch our pen. And they can't like pay us a check because they can't come into the office. Like law firms had like, all analog intake processes up to 2020. And then they were like, oh my God, we have to build something from scratch now. So the fourth one would be CRM, customer relationship management software or lead management software. So how do you get a lead to convert to a client in the firm? There's a whole pipeline for that. You can track your advertising, get reporting done through that. You can do marketing automation through that tool. Like, I think every law firm should have a CRM, even the small ones. And it depends on what one you buy. Like you were talking about, if you're a solo lawyer, you don't need to get Infusionsoft. But you can get a smaller product. Yeah. Like, there's so many options out there now to look at, but you want to have something. So those are the big four as far as I'm concerned. CRM, Law Practice Management, Productivity Software, and Accounting Software. And you unify all those because they're cloud-based. And you swap data back and forth it's a good deal which gives us a great segue you unify all those
1: some of them actually have built-in integrations one to the
2: other right some don't
1: is that and some don't (laughs) is that a must like do you need to have the built-in integration or like how should law firms think about that
2: I mean, ideally you want to have what I would call a direct integration or built-in integration, which is that two companies work together and they're like, hey, we're going to move data back and forth between our products. I'm writing to your API. You're writing to my API, which is just a fancy way of saying like these softwares can share data with each other. So you can drop your time and billing information into Xero or QuickBooks pretty easily. You can archive emails at your case management software, that kind of thing. The good thing about direct integrations is that they usually have more features, and they don't cost anything. If you don't have a direct integration, you got two options. One is you could create an indirect integration using a third-party software. Like Zapier is probably the most popular tool that does this. But you could have two companies that don't have a direct integration, but they both written for Zapier's API. So right. I could connect like Google Forms to my case management software, for example. Now, the problem with that is because there's a third party that needs to get paid, depending <laughs> on how many of these things you set up, depending on how many triggers you build, your cost starts to ramp up a little bit. So it's not ideal. I, I would never
1: have believed that yeah, third party integration software like Zapier, for me, Zapier, I would be paying them more than I pay of my <laughs> software. Yeah. I know it's
2: wild, isn't it?
1: Like yeah. it's kind it's of like, like stream- what does it do? <laughs> it's pipes. Exactly it's pipes.
2: Exactly. It's funny. It's kind of like I remember when people started ditching cable and it was like, oh great, I'm gonna have like a streaming service that I can buy and it's gonna cost me 30 bucks a month. Now yeah. I got like a million streaming services. <laughs> it's the same type of thing. Um, but the but the alternative is like building getting the API access yourself. And some companies won't give up that information to individuals or, or right. individual businesses. And that's costly and you got to maintain it because these apis break all the time because
1: or they just change them
2: well yeah they change them one company changes the name of a field and the whole thing's busted so i I tell like don't build your own like if you can't find a direct integration find an indirect integration there's a whole bunch of them available all right so i want to wrap
1: this with the hot topic oh yeah again CleoCon was all about it but i mean if you haven't noticed it this year um you ain't paying attention um and that's ai artificial intelligence it's yeah. all the buzz everybody's talking about how law firms are really really ripe for disruption of course again spent 3 always? decades <laughs> being told how <laughs> law firms are really ripe for disruption by x y and z um right but i kind of think it's true so how does ai fit into the, what we've been talking about how can lawyers what should lawyers be thinking about in choosing to get some of that ai like i mean like, like how do they wrap their minds around this
2: what is it what, what should they be thinking about over the next year that's going to be somebody's slogan now get some of that ai <laughs> i guess like, i guess i'm thinking of three things like one is if you haven't tried it yet just check it out do something stupid on like ChatGPT or google bard or whatever i like my son likes these sports drinks called prime <laughs> which are like crazy popular now and uh, so I'm like, let's make our own. Let's build a recipe on ChatGPT and do that for you. I'm like, okay, give me this recipe, remove the caffeine, make it a flavor, like that kind of thing. So just get used to it. Uh, the other thing is that there's AI happening, being utilized in products you're already using. So we talked about right. Microsoft. Like, it, it's funny, Like when you're drafting an email in Microsoft or a Word document, they've got these phrase completions now. And I talk to people and they're like, oh my God, like, I would have said that of course cuz they're monitoring what you're doing right. <laughs> they're implementing ai that's like an ai tool that you're using every day yeah, I without even that. realizing it yeah they know <laughs> they know they know um, google search has an ai component now it's coming everywhere so Get used to that stuff and understand how it works. Um, And then what you're starting to see now, which I think is like probably eventually going to be the fullest flowering of this, is that if you've got legal technology companies using AI and releasing AI features at a pretty rapid rate, Some companies have been doing this for a long time. Like eDiscovery has been using AI forever. Um, Legal research companies have been using AI forever. But now you're seeing a push in like case management software companies. Like you went to ClioCon. They released a bunch of AI-related features. Filevine just launched a bunch of AI-related features. Right now... They're fairly simple in the sense that they're relying a lot on generative AI, which is you ask a question or create a prompt and the AI spits out the answer. So you're seeing things like medical record summaries, that kind of thing. But it's going to get more sophisticated over the course of time. Data is going to become more involved. And what I like about those is that's a closed environment. So. One of the problems with AI is that it hallucinates. It makes things up if it thinks you can give me an answer. But if you're researching in Thomson Reuters' Westlaw, which just acquired uh, Case Text, which had a feature called Co-Counsel, which is AI-assisted legal research, like you know the sites are gonna be good because they're drawing from the sites that Westlaw right. has. So it's a little bit safer for attorneys to utilize AI and the software they're already utilizing. And I think that's gonna be yes. what they start to do. As opposed to going to ChatGPT and writing a brief that you actually submit where it hallucinated entire cases. Yeah, and then <laughs> people are like, hey, are these cases correct? And is like, sure, Bill. These yes. cases are correct. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> and people rely on that, like intelligent people, attorneys. <laughs> it's crazy to me. <laughs> so yeah, you use the AI tools that are embedded into the software That, you're that already makes a using, lot of sense. Because they're already there or they're coming. And
1: they're vetted and they're tuned and yeah, it's it, right. to avoid problems like that. Listen, Jared, we are we're out of time. Um and so we're gonna have to wrap this up. What I'd love to be able to do, though, um, so first of all, that does wrap up this edition of the Unbillable Hour. And so thank you, all our listeners, for hanging in here with us. Um, my guest today has been Jared uh, D. Correa, oh, Esquire, CEO <laughs> of Red Cave Law Firm <laughs> Consulting and COO of Gideon Software. Jared, we talked about a lot of stuff. Some folks might want to follow up with you on on some of it. How can they get in touch with you?
2: Oh, uh, yeah, a couple of websites, redcavelegal.com for consulting gideonlegal.com for the software and then you know if you type my name into google if you can spell it c-o-r-r-e-i-a you'll find a bunch of stuff fantastic thank you so much for being on the show jared thank you this was a lot of fun yeah
1: it was all right and of course i am christopher t anderson and i look forward to seeing listening being with all of you again next month with another great guest as we learn more about topics that help us build the law firm business that works for you. And just a quick reminder that in addition to this interview podcast, um, the Unbillable Hour also has the community table, which we release every month. But you can participate in the community table live, each and every one of you, by coming on through the Legal Talk Network. And we're on the third Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern time every month. Third Thursdays at 3 o'clock Eastern on the community table. And look for that podcast as well. People ask Great questions and get good advice from me and others. Um, As far as this show, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes.
0: Thanks for joining us. We'll speak again soon. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. Join us again for the next edition, right here with Legal Talk Network.